Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Then the founding pastor, I told John, I came up here, I was 39 years old, and I didn't know what I was doing, and John said, that's okay, God knew what you were doing, and uh, you don't know how much comfort that has brought me over the years, that God always knows what we're doing, even when we don't. So, uh, I don't hurt myself on this apparatus up here. Yeah. We're, uh, we're going to be in John chapter uh, 2 today, and uh, I know James, where's James? Where's James? Oh, he's in a nursery? Well, okay, well, J- James mentioned that I shared this last week at our church, and uh, he'd already heard it, so I was going to apologize to him, but, uh, you know, the Word of God is always fresh, and uh, even when we go back, Pastor Bill and I were talking about this, how that you go back you know, you, you study something, and you teach it, and you listen to it, and you think about it, and you go, man, I wish I'd have thought about that before, because it's always fresh, and no matter how many times we go to look at the Word of God, it's always good. But uh, we're in John chapter 2 this morning, so uh, what we do in Nashville, I pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, so we stand for the reading of God's Word every week, so if you can stand, and maybe you might, may not be able to, we're going to be standing this uh, reading this morning in John chapter 2, and we're going to start uh, with verse 1, and we're only going to read to verse um, 12, okay? So, now you know competition now, I've got, got a toy going on over here, okay, hey, hey you know, we, we're going to have fun today, I really hope we have fun, okay, so uh, the Lord is good. And uh, so let's look at John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Father, thank you for this word today. Thank you for giving us everything that we need. Thank you, Lord, that you do love us so much. We just praise you, Lord, for all that you have for us. And we pray, Lord, that today that uh, we just uh, set aside every distraction, set every kind of uh, apprehension we might have away, Lord, that we would focus and listen for what you have for us this morning. 
We thank you for all these things in the name of your dear son, Jesus. Amen. All righty. Okay. Having a distraction here. Speaking of distractions, I'm having one. And I can't get, let me try this over. I want to preface this. Let me, let, me, let me back up a little bit while I'm getting this iPad happening here. Um, and we're looking at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And, you know, John the Baptist came on the scene. And it was a pretty amazing thing for John to come on the scene the way he did here. And, um, hey, Bill, I'm, I'm going to really need your help here, seriously, with this. My iPad is doing something that I can't rectify. Okay. Let me turn pray for the iPad. Pray for the iPad, yeah. <laughs> well, what it, no, it, my, look here. This is my document is damaged and can't be opened. Try to restore a document to a previous version. Uh, do this. Talk among yourselves. Yeah. Is it up to our internet? I don't use the iCloud. Can I get up to the Wi-Fi? Well, it should be on your Wi-Fi. I think so. I'm not showing it. Just why Jesus didn't have an iPad. Start with the Android talk. Yeah. See, it's not hooked up to the, our Wi-Fi. No, it doesn't matter. Doesn't? No, because it's in a document here. You try to pull it off the cloud? I don't use the cloud. Oh. Okay. Okay. I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. Nope. No, we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. We're all going to Cracker Barrel. Yeah, we're all going to Cracker Barrel. <laughs> okay, Jesus had shown up on the scene, but before Jesus showed up on the scene, John the Baptist showed up on the scene. Now, you've got to put this in its context. Israel had not, not had a prophet for 400 years. 400 years they had not had a man of God show up and say, Thus saith the Lord. But John the Baptist had been prophesied from the book of Malachi that he was going to appear. He was going to be the predecessor. He was going to be the one who was going to show up and say to announce to Israel that the Lamb of God was on the scene, that the Messiah had come. This is something that all Israel had been waiting for for years. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when the Lord told Adam and Eve that I'm going to send someone to, to reverse this curse for you and take care of this kind of thing, that, that they were waiting for this to happen. Okay, Moses said, you're going to have a prophet like me. David uh, was, had been promised that his son would sit on the throne in Israel. These things had all been prophesied that they were going to happen, and this was going to come. And now John was on the scene after 400 years of silence. They had not had a prophet. Can you imagine not having a preacher for 400 years? 400, you would forget what it was like. You would forget what it was like for somebody to come on the scene and say, Thus saith the Lord, this is that, and bring out the scriptures and tell you what's going on. So John came. John was a very different individual. He was out in Judean wilderness, and he was preaching, and he was announcing, and he was baptizing, and he was telling these Jews that they needed to be converted. He was telling them that they were no better than the heathen. So for him to tell Jews that you needed to get baptized, only proselytes, you know what a proselyte is? Someone who converts to the religion got baptized. He was telling Jews, you need to get right with God. That would be like somebody coming in here and telling all of you, you need to get saved. 
You need to repent. You need to be born again. And so John was so radical that everyone listened to him. And the, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, the Gentiles listened to him. It says that the priests and the Levites came down from, from Jerusalem and they listened to him. And the common people came out and they heard. So John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And let's back up for a minute. We're going to go to John chapter 1 for just a second here. And it says in John in uh, chapter... Uh, one of 43 it says the following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him follow me now he was he was seeking out these disciples Jesus was and well I'm sorry let me, let me back up just 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 a little bit before that okay uh, let's look at verse 35 verse 35 I'm sorry John is preaching. He's already announced. Verse 34, he said, I have seen and testified to you that this is the Son of God. Okay? So, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He's telling them, Here he is. Not just there he goes, check him out, this is him, but behold. What behold means is keep him in your sights. Put your focus on this Jesus. Study him, watch him, observe him, pay attention to him. We were looking at this book this morning, The Jesus Style. You will learn from Jesus if you pay attention to Jesus. See what he says, see what he taught, see what he's about. Behold the Lamb of God. So the next day, two of John's disciples were with him in verse 35, and they looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them follow, said to them, What do you seek? Jesus saw these guys following, and he called their bluff, and he said, What are you looking for? Why are you here? And that would be what maybe any of us might think when we come to even a church service and Jesus confronts us and says, what are you even doing here in the first place? Why are you here? So they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. Come and see. Now when they said, where are you staying? They weren't just saying, where's your apartment or what's your address? But where do you come from? What's your point of view? What's your worldview? Where, where, where do you abide? That's what the word says. Where do you abide? Where do you live? Where do you stay? What's your center? And Jesus said, come with me and you'll see what I'm about. So they did. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. And then one of the two who heard him speak and follow him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he went to find his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus looked at Simon, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And what Jesus was doing, he's looking at this man. He said, I know who you are. I know who your family is. I know who your father is. I know all about you. I know you. And see, we can be assured that God knows us. And the wonderful thing about God knowing us is that most of us, are we're, we're so insecure, we don't want people to know us. We go online and we pretend and we put up the good stuff, but we don't tell them the bad stuff. We don't tell them about our problems. You know, we put our best foot forward, and we, we want people to you know, think we're this when we're not. And we hide, and we don't show our emotions. But God looks at us, and he says, I know you. And we can be secure in the fact that God knows us. He knows all about you. He knows your fears. He knows your problems. He knows your insecurities. He knows your hang-ups, your doubts, your sins, your troubles, all of that. And yet, he loves you no less. 
He says, I know you are this, but you shall be this. And that's what he said to Peter. You are this, but you're going to be something else. And that's the hope of the gospel. That is the whole hope of the gospel right there. As we come in and we're afraid and we're confused and we're messed up and we don't even want to tell people how messed up we are. We don't want to talk about the real stuff because we're always putting on a front. We're always doing the Instagram or the selfie or the Facebook or, the, or you know, putting up some kind of picture of what we would like people to think we are. But we don't let people know who we really are. And God says, I know who you really are, but I'm going to tell you, you can be something different. And that's the whole hope of the gospel. And that's what he's saying to Peter here. And if you look at Peter, Peter was a mess. We like to pick on him. We like to kind of point him out because Peter would say stupid stuff. You know, Peter would, you know, he would pull a weapon and strike the priests. You know, he's trying to take up for Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, stop. And he reaches out and heals the guy that Peter is trying to kill. Peter, you know, would, you know, brag about being the best, you know. P Peter would do all kinds of things that he shouldn't. He would throw the other disciples under the bus and say, I'm not like the rest of these guys. They'll probably all desert you, but I won't. How many of us have done that? We say, Jesus, everybody else is probably going to fail you, but I won't. I won't be like them, Lord. I won't be like this publican. I won't be like this sinner. I won't be like as other men, Lord. I'm your man. And Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going, to, you're going to deny that you even know me. And see, the thing is, Jesus knew all these things about Peter, and yet he still accepted him as one of the 12 disciples. So no matter what even your future failures might be or your weaknesses, Jesus knows all about you, and still he says, come and see. Come with me. Come with me. So... The following day, and this is this is a part that that I, that I really love here. Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, "Follow me." Now there, we know very we know nothing about what Philip was doing. We know nothing about why it says Jesus found Philip. What was Philip doing? We don't know. We have no idea. Was Peter was Philip even wanting to be found? We don't know. Do you know people who don't want to be found? Do you know people who disappear, run away, leave town, relocate, move, erase their social media, don't want anybody to know, don't return their messages, don't return their, their text, don't want to be found? I'm out of here. Don't mess with, don't bother me. I don't want to have anything to do with anybody. You ever been, have you ever been like that? It's called isolating. We pull away. But you know what? Jesus found Philip. And some of us, we do everything not to be found. We put up a front, we pretend, we hide. And he says that Jesus found Philip. And he said to Philip, follow me. Now, G Philip had no idea where Jesus was going. No idea where Jesus was going. Think about that. Jesus says, follow me. Now, where did Jesus go? Well, that's a good question. If I come to you and I said, hey, I want you to come with me. What's your first question? Well, where are you going? Maybe I don't want to go with you. Maybe I want you to come help me do some really hard, nasty work, and you don't want to do it. All right? I could be taking you to a wonderful surprise, a nice restaurant, or a beautiful place, or to meet someone that you might really like. But if you don't know, you're going to go, wait, now, wait a minute. Now, I don't know if I want to follow you or not. But Jesus looks at Philip and says, follow me. And Philip had no idea where Jesus was going to take him. And that's the way Jesus is with us. He says, follow me. And some of us are going, well, wait a minute, Jesus. I don't know where you might take me. You might take me to Botswana. 
You know, we were joking about this this morning, but we don't know where Jesus might take us. Well, where did Jesus go? Where did Jesus go, and where was Jesus asking Philip to go? Well, Jesus went to a lot of different places. Jesus went to the poor. A lot of people don't want to have anything to do with poor people because they can't do anything for you, right? Jesus went to the powerful and the wealthy, and a lot of people don't want to have anything to do with the powerful and the wealthy because, frankly, we resent them. And we think that they're just going to try to hurt us somehow. Jesus went to the lepers and the sick and the outcasts and the widows, the people that, that couldn't do anything for anyone. Jesus went everywhere ministering. And this is where Philip, Jesus was asking Philip to go with him. Where else did Jesus go? Jesus got kicked out of the synagogue. Jesus got death threats. Jesus went to the garden alone. Jesus went to the cross Jesus went before Pilate and before Herod and before trials. And he told his disciples, if you follow me, you'll go there too. But where else did Jesus go? Jesus went to the grave. And Jesus went beyond the grave. And Jesus went to the Father. So when Jesus says, follow me, ultimately, Jesus is saying, follow me to the Father. Now, there might be some stops along the way. There might be some speed bumps along the way. There might be some hassles along the way. There might be some troubles and some problems, but there might also be some wonderful blessings along the way. When I came to West Virginia in uh, April of 2000, I had no idea what I was getting into or what was going to happen. But look at us now. And we get to meet all these wonderful people and have this wonderful fellowship. And we baptized all these people and did weddings and bought buildings and sold buildings and moved and had all kinds of things. And people getting saved and giving themselves to the Lord and dedicating babies and ordaining people for the ministry. And people going to Russia and ministry taking place. Well, we didn't know what we were getting into. We had no idea. So in the same way, when Jesus is calling you to follow me, yes, there's a cross involved. Yes, Jesus said you will be hated by all men for my name's sake, but you have no idea the blessing and the reward and ultimately to see his face and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he's going to do for you. And ultimately we'll follow him to the Father's house. So is Jesus, oh, there's a clock. What time do you all usually wind up? Noon? Is that right? About, okay. Whenever? Don't say that. <laughs> a number that no man can number, right? So Jesus, he calls these other 12. He calls Nathaniel up, you know, and we have the famous speech where Jesus calls Nathaniel. And, and Nathan, Philip finds his brother, Nathaniel, by the way. He reaches out to someone close to him and brings him to Jesus. And, and uh, Nathaniel's coming, and Jesus goes, Oh, here's an Israelite in whom is no guile. Here's an honest man. Here's a straight shooter. Here's a no-nonsense guy is what Jesus is saying about Nathaniel. And then Nathaniel says, You don't know me. How do you know me? And Jesus said, Nathaniel... Before, before Philip called you, I saw you. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What, is that in the, what in the world does that mean? There are several references in the Bible to the fig tree. The fig tree is the place where men would go to read the scriptures and pray and seek God. And he said, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Well, now Nathaniel is impressed. And Nathaniel, who had been a cynical man, think because look what he said in verse 46, because his brother said, We have found Jesus, the son of Nazareth, the one of whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And, and, uh, and Nathaniel said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He was a cynical man. Do you ever find yourself that way? Do you ever find yourself saying, Can any good thing come from anywhere? 
Can any good thing ever happen? Do you ever feel like sometimes there's no good in anything or anybody and that everybody is just going to let you down and disappoint you? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that even God can't help you because things, the, the world is just so messed up that can anything good ever happen? Well, what did Philip say? Philip said, come and see. Come and see. Come and see what? Come and see Jesus. Come and see what Jesus has to say, what Jesus says to you. Well, Philip had, had brought him to Jesus and and. And that's when Jesus said, oh, here's an honest man. And Nathaniel said, you don't know me. Jesus said, but I do know you, Nathaniel. I saw you. I saw you when you were in the scriptures and when you were praying. And wow, now Nathaniel's impressed. And he says, oh, you must be the Messiah. You're the king of Israel, Rabbi. He said, you are the son of God, verse 49. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, is this all it takes to impress you? You need to curb your enthusiasm, Nathaniel. Don't get so overly excited. Are you just saying this because I said I saw you? Listen, you're going to see greater things than this. You're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So uh, one of the reasons I like to look at this passage of Jesus calling all these men is they were all so different. Each one of them was so different. You know, you might be like Philip. Maybe you're hiding out and you don't want to be found. Or maybe you're like Peter and you know you're pretty messed up. And Jesus says, I know you're messed up, but I'm going to change you. It's going to be different. Or maybe you're like Nathaniel, and you're, you're thinking, nah, can any good thing come from anything? And Jesus says, come see. Philip says, come see. You're going to find out. I'm going to show you some things. So we see all these different personality types. And sometimes I think that when we look at the disciples, we see them as just this group or this cluster, kind of like a team. They're just like the disciples. But we don't think that each one is different. Each one has his own personality, his own fears, his own insecurities, his own point of view. And that's like us. We're all so different in this room. We're not all just alike. And God knows who you are, where you are, what he wants to do with you, what you're thinking, where you've been, and how he can help you and heal you. So, so I, that's why I love this, this last part of John. Okay? And I, and it's, but it's a good setup for us here as now we get into this passage here in John 2. So Jesus is invited to this wedding. In Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, this would have been a disaster, an absolute disaster. As you know, probably, in the Middle East, hospitality was a major, major virtue. If you had guests in your house, it was your responsibility to take care of those guests in your house. Remember the story of Lot when he had the two angels in his house? Remember that story? And, and the people were banging on the door and, and, and wanting to, and, and he did everything to protect them because hospitality was a major thing. If you had a guest, you were responsible for your guests. Now, where did the Middle Easterners get this idea? They get it from God. Because God is the great host. God is the one who takes care of us. God is the one who never runs out of food and never runs out of anything for us when he invites us to fellowship with him. But now we're at a wedding and they've run out. That would be like if Rick would invite me to go out to eat at Outback and I say, awesome, let's go. And then he gets there and he goes, oh, Chris, I forgot my wallet. I'm going to go, great, Rick. The old I forgot my wallet trick, you know. And, and that would be like, you know, somebody wanting to take you out. Ladies, if a guy wants to take you on a date and then, and then he goes, oh, uh, you think you could pay? Uh, because I don't, you wouldn't want to go out with that guy again. You're going to say, who's this loser? He won't even buy my lunch, you know. So this was a serious thing. For them not, not to be able to take care of their guests. So Mary, turning to Jesus, says, I want you to do something. 
Now, why would Mary t turn to Jesus? I think we need to remember that Mary was a sinner like everybody else, regardless of how you've been raised. Mary was a sinner. And some people believe, and I think it certainly could be true, that Mary may have been trying to get Jesus to prove himself. Listen, Mary got the message from the angel. Mary, the angel told Mary, he will be called the son of the highest. This is the Messiah is who your son is. So remember, there were a lot of people trying to push Jesus to the front. Herod wanted him to do miracles. The people were wanting to say, hey, Moses gave us manna. Can you give us manna like Moses did in the wilderness? I think it's par probably likely that Mary was saying, come on, son, do something for these people. Help them out. Show them, show them what to do. So Jesus said, though, to her, he said, woman, my hour is not yet come. Now, he was not saying this in a disrespectful way when he said woman, because this is actually the same phrase that he used when he was on the cross and he was sending his mother home with the apostle John and said, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. This was the same kind of endearment that he was using for his mother. But he said, my hour is not yet come. Jesus knew he was very sensitive about his timing about what, when he was supposed to do things. And if you look, if you want to do a study, look at all the times that the, that the phrase appears through the Gospel of John about the hour. Jesus would say, the hour is near, or my hour is not yet come. Or the night that he was betrayed, he said, Father, the hour has come. He knew that there was an hour coming, but the, the time of his crucifixion wasn't ready. But yet, he was here, he was going to minister to these people. And we see that his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So she says, look, follow his direction. Now, Jesus was the oldest son, so it was normal. If any of you guys are the oldest like I was and you're around and all the other siblings and they say, hey, if somebody's, you know, they kind of point to you and say, hey, it's your job. Go do it. So, so what did Jesus do? It says now that there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Now, this, the, this shows that these people were religious people. They were Jews, and they kept. They were concerned about doing things the right way. And these water pots were there for them to wash their hands so that they would be clean as they were supposed to be clean, okay? So Jesus said, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now, take it to the master of the feast, and they took it. So the master drank this water, and he says, hey, uh, he didn't know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. Now, this is something I think is very important. When Jesus is at work, there will be other people who see the results of Jesus working. And they say, how does this happen? How does this work? Why? And you who are following Jesus and doing what he told you, you know. You know Jesus is at work. So somebody says, how can you be so patient? How can you not get angry about this? Why Why are you always helping me? Why is it that you Christians are always taking Well, I don't get it. Why is this? Well, we know why. Because we know the voice of the Lord and we know we're following the Lord. So other people are benefiting maybe from your generosity, from the blessing, but they don't know how it happened. They don't know how. But we who serve the Lord, we know how it happened. It was the work of Jesus that was taking place here. Now, We know this story. It's, it's been told to us ever since we were little about Jesus turning the water into wine. And the master of the feast says in verse 10, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee 
and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So now, we're going to back up just a little bit, and I'm going to say, I'm going to ask this, why in the world would Jesus, who did his first miracle, why would he choose to go to this wedding? Good question. Why didn't he, this is his first miracle, First time out, he's going to make an impression. He's the Messiah of Israel. He just gathered his disciples together. Why didn't he go down to Jerusalem to the temple and say, move over, boys. I'm going to show you how it's done. I'm going to show you priests. You guys who think you're so close to God, I'm going to show you what's going on. I'm going to show you the power of the Lord. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he go to the priests and the Levites? It's a good question. Why didn't he go to Herod or to Pilate? Herod had a, a, a palaces down in Caesarea. A Pilate had a place in Jerusalem. Why didn't Jesus go to them and say, listen, I know you guys think you're the kings of the earth, but I am, have more authority. Let me show you my authority and my power. Why didn't he do that? It's a good question. Where did he go? He went to a wedding. He went to a home. He went to a little village in the sticks, literally in the sticks. The word Cana means reeds, means sticks. It was a place of reeds. Jesus went to a home. Jesus went to a wedding. Jesus went to the basis of human need and human families and human relationships. That's where he worked his first miracle. Because when you look at it, this is where it all fell apart. Where did the human race go south? In the Garden of Eden, right? You had the Garden of Eden. You had Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were there. Eve goes, takes the fruit that the serpent presents to her. Where was her husband at the time? We don't know. Good question. Where was Adam? Why wasn't he around? Why wasn't he watching out for her? But he wasn't. Eve takes it. What does she do? Tempts her husband with it. Oh. Then when everything blows up, what do they do? They blame each other. That's where the blaming starts. Actually, this is a really good thing coming off of our wedding, our marriage talks yesterday. Because isn't that what a lot of couples do? They start blaming each other. Adam and Eve, Adam even blames God. He says, this woman that you gave me, oh, how many of us blame God? God, if you'd only stopped me. Have you ever said that? Why did you let me go to that bar, Lord? Why did you let me go out with him, Lord? Why didn't you stop me, Lord? Why didn't you let me watch my money, Lord? God's not going to make you do anything. He leads. He leads. But the Lord worked his power and he worked his miracle here at this wedding in a home to establish his authority and show who he was. Because really, guys, this is where it all, all matters most. Christianity, well, look, we can come to church, we can sing songs, we can eat meals, we can have events, but if Christianity is not practiced in a home, not just mom and dad, parents, children, kids, loving each other, serving each other, being obedient to the scripture, then it doesn't matter how much we come to church and sing songs. We've all known and maybe been 
experience situations where our parents go to church, but then at home they don't live it out. Jesus started his works and his miracles in the home. Now, I think I'm not trying to get too mystical on us here, but Jesus, whenever he did a work and did a sign, the scripture calls them signs, he's trying to show us something else. A sign only represents something else. Okay? A symbol only represents something else. There's a sign out here on the street. It says Calvary Chapel. Is that sign Calvary Chapel? Is it? No. You guys are Calvary Chapel. The people. So a sign only points to something else. Jesus did this sign to show us something else. Well, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper and see what he's showing us. When he went to this home, and this was a good home, this was a home of believers, and they had these water pots there. And these water pots were for what? They were for purification. What does a purification do? It washes the dirt off of the outside. But that's all it can do. It was part of the law. And all it could do was wash the water off the outside. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. He said, because you guys wash the outside of the dish, but the inside is left unclean. They looked good on the outside. They wore the right clothes. They, they looked, they had the right appearance. They were very religious. They loved the titles. They loved the recognition. But their hearts were full of wickedness. So these water pots are a representation of the Old Testament law. They were a tool of the Old Testament law. They were a symbol of the Old Testament law, of their Jewish religion. And in many ways, these water pots represent us. Because what does the scripture tell us in the, in the New Testament? It says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Okay, But these water pots had to be filled up. Now Jesus said, don't think that I came to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fill it up. To bring it up, to, do, to bring the law to the point that, so that the law can do, how can I say this? There's only so much the law can do. It can only point out our sin. It can only show us how lost we are. But Jesus said, I'm going to bring it up to its fulfillment that now Jesus was going to do what the law could never do. So once the, the pots are filled up, and who fills the pots? Well, the servants of Jesus did it but in this story. But Jesus fills us up, and when he fills us up, then what comes out? What comes out? Living water. Jesus said everyone who believes in him out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. So when we allow Jesus to fill us, we overflow. And what comes out is a sweetness, a sweetness that other people go, where did this come from? It sure didn't come from you. Right, it didn't come from you because you're not capable. Just like the water pot is not capable. The only thing the water pot can do is to cleanse the dirt from the outside. But what does wine do? Wine works from the inside. Wine gets inside of a person and changes things. Okay? So the Spirit works on the inside and brings out a sweetness, but Jesus has to be the one who does it. So the Lord did this work at a wedding and a home where two people doing their very best, and I know there's some good people in here, and we're all trying to do our best, right? Well, I mean, we will, and we'll say, hey, I'm doing my best. And we're but honest to God, I'm doing my best. We say that, and we mean it. And we're not trying to be fake in any way. But, but our best efforts still fall short. 
and without the filling of the Holy Spirit, nothing is going to happen. We have to have Jesus filling us, and then that sweetness will come out. See, think about this story here for a minute. Here were some people, good people, happy time. A wedding in that culture was a festival. It, it's not. I've done a lot of weddings. I married some of you all. And um, I've had weddings that were so quick, they last 15 or 20 minutes. You know, and if you didn't get there, you'd miss it. You know, I mean, literally, I've done some weddings where people, oh, well, no, we don't want a simple wedding. Simple, I'm going to read the thing. Will you? Yeah, will you? Yeah, okay, good luck. You know, you're married. You know, and I, there, I've done some really simple weddings. But in back in the day, back in, the, back in Israel, when they performed, it lasted a week. Can you imagine? Going a week, and you have all the relatives in, and the food, and the fun, and the party, and it was awesome. And this young couple would be treated like a king and a queen for a week because, you know what, the rest of their life might be really hard. They lived under the Roman oppression. They lived in Palestine. They didn't even have their own freedom of government in Israel. The Romans were in control. The Romans told them what they could and couldn't do all the time. Then they had all the religious fakes and phonies pushing them around and, and trying to control them all the time. And then you had all the Gentiles and the wicked people, you know, just everywhere and crooks and, and, and rip-offs. And you just had to, and then, then you had normal stuff, you know, like sick babies and old parents and hard work and accidents and bad weather and just life, you know. So life is hard. And this young couple is wanting to have the best time ever. They're doing, and, the, and, and the master of the feast, probably someone's father, so they're throwing this thing, and they're trying to take it for everybody, but, oh, man, we're out of wine. You're doing your best, but you just can't provide for people. You just can't. Now, Jesus tells another story over in Luke 11, I think it is. And he tells a story about a man who has a visitor to come to him at midnight. And the visitor comes and says, hey, I need to stay with you. Well, the guy says, oh, great, come on in. And then he finds out, I don't have any food for this guy. I can't take care of my guest. I don't have what it takes to provide for the person that has come to me. So what does he do? He goes to his neighbor. And he wakes his neighbor up and says, hey, man, listen, I got somebody that came in the middle of the night. I know this is a big hassle and I hate to wake you up and everything, but they're here and I, I, got, I don't have anything to take care of these people with. So his neighbor, it says, he gets up because of his persistence. He gets up and he gives him as much as he needs to take care of the guest. Now, here's the thing. Most of our lives, we have been taught that this story that if we go and if we bug God long enough, come on, God, come on, God, I'm claiming your promise, God. I'm declaring it, God. I'm decreeing it, God. And we, and we, we, keep, and we bug him and bug him until we wear him down, right? We wear him down long enough, God will go, oh, come on, give me a break. Here's the bread. Go away. But is that the way he is? He says because he's his friend. Because he's his friend. It's God who is persistent. God persistently gives. God persistently gives. Remember that old poem? He giveth and giveth and giveth again. So here's a story of a man. Someone comes to him and says, Hey, I need some help. And the guy says, I can't help you, man. So what do we do? He goes to his neighbor. His neighbor is God. And God gives him everything he needs to take care of the person. It's the same thing that's happening in the wedding. They have guests, and they're doing their best. 
They're religious people. They get the purification pots. They even invited Jesus. But they don't have what it takes to provide for their guests. And Jesus says, do what I say, and you'll have everything you need to take care of these people. So we look at this and go, okay, cool story. What about it? You and I have people that come to us. They may not be out-of-towners. They might be your regular friends. They might be your kids. They might be your parents. They might be your coworkers. But they come to you, and they need some help. And you don't know how to help them. In fact, you're sitting there thinking, I don't know what to do for this guy. I don't know what to do for my mom. I don't know what to do with my teenager. I don't know what to do with my hard-headed husband. I don't know what to do with my unhappy wife. I don't know what to do. God, I want to help, and I don't know what to do. And the Lord says, let me fill you up, and you will have everything you need to take care of the people that I brought to you. And I think this is why Jesus did this at a wedding. He didn't need to go impress the Pharisees. He didn't do this miracle to prove that he was all-powerful. He came because he wants to meet needs. And where does he start? He starts in a home. He starts in human relationships. He starts in a marriage. He starts in a wedding. He starts in a family. And this is where Jesus wants to minister. And he wants to fill us up so that we can overflow. And that's the word that I bring to you today. God wants to minister to you. You know you're lacking. We all are. Hey, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm a granddaddy. I'm almost 60 years old. You know? And there's so many times I go, Lord, I just don't have what my family needs. I don't have what my church needs. I don't have what I need. I can barely get by sometime, and God says, come to me. Come to me. Come and see. Come to me, and I'll meet your need. I love that psalm that David read this morning. He didn't know that that's my favorite psalm. 73 is my favorite psalm. And the part that I love is where David said, as for me, surely God is good to Israel, but as for me, my foot had almost slipped. And I can relate to that so many times. You, pastor? You? Yes. So many times just discouraged, disheartened, frustrated with myself, feeling like, God, how can you ever use me? What can you ever do with me? And the Lord says, follow me. Come and see. Follow me. You will see. You will see. And that's my prayer for you today. I don't know how you guys do things around here anymore. I've been gone too long. But I want to encourage you. Come to Jesus. A lot of people come to church and they don't come to Jesus. A lot of people come to church and they don't come to God. Come to Jesus. In your private time, in your quiet time, come to Jesus and talk to him. Make sure that you have peace with the Lord. If you have a friend in here, somebody you can trust and you can talk to, or maybe if you don't even know anybody, come to one of these guys that you've seen up front, Bill or John or David or somebody. And Ladies, come to one of these women and say, Would you just pray with me? Would you just talk to me? I need Jesus to fill me up because I don't have what I need. And I've got people all around me that have needs. I can't even take care of myself. 
And Jesus will meet you. I promise he will. Jesus has a way of always showing himself faithful. And we can trust him. When iPads don't work. When your car gets hit. Whatever happens. God is at work. God is at work. Amen. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this promise. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. You are so good and so wonderful. And I just uh, pray for everyone here, Lord, that they would take the time to let you fill them up. It's so easy, Lord, for your word says that the backslider in heart is full of his own ways. I get so full of my own ways. I get so full of my own opinions and attitudes and ideas and feel like I'm an old dog that can't learn new tricks. And uh, Lord, you make all things new, just like you told Peter. I know what you're like. I know who you are, but I'm going to make you something different. So Lord, draw us close. Draw us close in a quiet time. And I just thank you for all these things in the name of your dear son, Jesus. Amen. We don't have words. Oh, we do have words. Okay. Let's stand and sing the new song one more time. you are the Lord of hosts. We glorify you, Lord. Oh, come behold the works of God, the nations at his feet. He breaks the bow, he bends the spear, and he tells the wars to cease. Oh, mighty one of Israel, you are on my side we walk by faith in god who burns the chariots with fire lord of hosts lord of hosts you're with us with us in the fire with us as a shelter with us in the storm you will lead us through the fiercest battle oh where else would we go but with the lord of Your voice to speak. The earth that bows and all the mountains move into the sea. 
Roar, you are the Lord of all, the one who 